What's up, Ego Hackers? Welcome to uh, Season 14, Part 4, Episode 3. We'll be discussing uh, ENTJ and ISFP romantic relationships. Something I'm not really that big of a fan of. But of course, when it comes to uh, colloquially uh, accepted uh, duality relationships... I try to uh, avoid them like the plague whenever possible, as most men do. Women, however, seem to be entirely fascinated by these kinds of relationships with fellow women. But uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to like their romantic relationships, there needs to be like compatibility because they're saving their their compatibility. It's like how their brain naturally saves themselves, basically, almost like a virgin would be saving herself for the man in her life uh, with which uh, she believes that she is destined, even though that's a lot of crap, honestly. It's more of a, um, a female perspective than it is a male perspective because of the uh, masculine or the male uh, sexual strategy known as polygyny. So, uh, which polygyny basically is the opposite of um, male idealism, masculine idealism. And masculine idealism is ultimately what caused uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden to put uh, Eve uh, on a pedestal, basically, when she betrayed him. So fascinating to me that that's exactly the kind of teaching that my own father would encourage me to do um, and help me how, uh, tell me how to live. So, and don't get me wrong, like, I love my father. I love him a lot. Um, overall, I think he's a good man, but like any, uh, any extroverted Templar type, they have a tendency of treating people outside of their immediate family better than themselves. And, you know, he has this point of view where, you know, if you're going to be like this person who's, you know, participating in this family, you need to give it your all. You need to give it to, uh, you know, it's, it's all about other people. You know, we're going to serve God together. And that's the whole point or purpose of our uh, family. And I'm like, how about, like, raising me into a man instead of uh, selling my manhood off to some kind of church or organization or cult or whatever, some kind of authority? That would be nice. But this relationship, the ENTJ and the ISFP, is basically as anti-authority as you can get. Uh, like they're 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 anti, very anti-establishment, very anti-authority. And the problem is, is that they like to see themselves as the authority within the relationship, and because they see themselves as the authority, it ends up becoming a huge problem. The other issue is, is that like you know, from a cognitive origin perspective and a love language point of view, it's like yeah, this exchange of gifts because their love language being gifts, there is technically no level of appreciation, right? And that ends up becoming a big deal over time. A really big deal. Because it's like they're trying to get the other person to react to them. And the other person won't react to them or have anything to do with them. Because it's like, hey, you know, they're constantly competing for, like, who's on top in the bedroom. And as much as they're constantly going to be competing for who's on top in real life, you know. And, like, 
it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Don't, don't get into this relationship. It's kind of fascinating that it's really literally people like my father and the religious institutions that they have uh, literally tell me, like, or tell anyone for that matter, to get into these relationships because they're, like, trying to utilize multi-age, old conventional wisdom, which is entirely worthless, and then like to uh, promote themselves and be presumptuous as these, these matchmakers. And it's like, hey, we're in a religious institution here. Hi, little ISFB. Hi, big ENTJ. You guys have very similar traits, so you two should be together. And then these people are encouraged to go in this direction. This is one of the biggest mistakes, especially when it comes to arranged relationships. Places like India and China have this huge problem and are not even entirely aware of just how bad that problem actually is. So these arranged marriages end up becoming faulty because nobody actually knows what they're doing, which I find entirely frustrating, very frustrating. So what is a person left to do, basically? Figure out Jungian analytical psychology and ego hacking, of course. That way they can identify their own type and identify the types of the people. This is one of the main things, like, you know, like, this, this psychology really, really appeals to women. You know, the pickup artists call it chick crack because they're always, like, talking about astrology and all this and that. But this is even better than astrology. Jungian analytical psychology, four-sides dynamics, takes the MBTI and goes even further. And it's almost as if there is some type of astrological uh, approach to it with categorizing people. But it really appeals to feminine intuition and female perception, basically which means that they can actually learn the science and apply it, they can actually improve their relationships uh, with men in their lives, much less to actually have a better time selecting potential suitors for them uh, when they're going through the dating process. Like if they're in an arranged marriage situation, it's like, hey, dad, hey, mom, found this guy, he's super compatible with me, I'm gonna give him a shot, you know, that kind of a thing. Which, as a result of that, it's entirely understandable. That is very understandable. Uh, and highly recommended. It's one of the reasons why I'm hoping to have a type of uh, matchmaking software available in the future to assist uh, with that phenomenon entirely. So, so yeah. Please, uh, please make that uh, kind of understanding. You know, like it's coming. We'll have that. Uh, we'll have that product out very soon to help. Uh, those Indian folk and those Chinese folk or anyone else that participates in arranged marriage on the planet, the opportunity to actually uh, understand one another to increase the chances of making it work. Because as much as I like to talk about the United States of America, everyone needs help. Just like ENTJs and ISFPs. ENTJs and ISFPs, like, you know, they're, they're both body temple, they're both focused on legacy, and they're constantly going to be putting their own legacy over the other person, which it's entirely frustrating and gross and horrible and why would anyone want to sign up for this relationship? They're just bad at everything. And it's like, you know, the ENTJ is like trying to figure out, you know, well, what's the ideas, right? What I, like, what, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? And the ISFP only can respond with, you know, the uh, introverted, uh, thinking demon, you know, full-on superego because of this concept known as soft-locking. If you don't know what soft-locking actually is, you might want to learn that. 
Soft locking is explained in the Cutting Edge uh, podcast episode, December 2022. Check out that episode. It's very important. I believe our next Cutting Edge episode is going to be uh, cognitive projection and the octogram and how the octogram can impact relationships. We're going to be going even deeper on uh, relationship compatibility from a human nurtural point so you guys can look at how you are interacting with your uh, relationships from that integral point of view. It's a really good cigar. Thank you, thank you uh, for this cigar. It was uh, it's very good. I really, I really enjoy it. So, from that perspective, It doesn't matter, like, these two types, like, you know, yeah, they could have compatible octograms, but it doesn't matter. Their nature is entirely incompatible. You know, just from a soft-locking standpoint, they soft-lock each other into each other's superegos. Sure. You know, one is consuming uh, the cognitive origin of purpose. One is producing the cognitive origin of purpose. You'd think that they'd actually match, but they don't match. They don't match at all. Uh, because the soft-locking problem. You know, while on paper it kind of seems like they should go together, I mean, this is why, you know, a lot of people, when they colloquially interpret socionics, they assume that this is what duality is all about. But duality truly, from the perspective of socionics, actually is the bronze pair. It's the natural pair, basically. That's what it's supposed to be about. You know, and a lot of people just don't understand that. They don't, uh, they don't get it. They don't accept that. So, um, so be that as it may, do that lack of acceptance, it ends up becoming a huge problem for this relationship. It's not like, like nurture or nature, nature still trumps nurture at the end of the day. And, you know, when you're soft locking each other into each other's super egos, soft locking is a process where it's like, Hey, my hero function or any of my functions is going to seek out its exact counterpart within whichever four sides of the mind. And that means that could lead to chaotic, chaotic cognitive transition, maybe even orderly transition, but it still ends up translating into a lack of acceptance to the ego. And it'd be like the ISFP being like, hey, my purpose is more important than yours. My principles are more important than yours. And that sucks. That sucks a lot. Where it's really about like, this principle issue or a, a system of values where it's like, hey, my values are more important than yours. And these two types end up beating each other up. They, it just ends up turning into a giant compared dicks fest because each one of them is trying to become the authority over the relationship and then no authority is actually given. No authority is actually understood, basically. And it ends up becoming a huge issue. So that really sucks. It really sucks for them. It really sucks uh, <laughs> for everybody, everyone that's around them. Because while they're giving each other a bad experience, their brains are not being energized. It's, just, it's like, it's as draining as you can get. They literally are draining each other. And then they end up, because of the constant drain, they're looking for external sources to fill their ego, basically, to feed their ego. And especially since their body temple, they have, you know, the, the, the shadow, um, the shadow deadly sin of gluttony, 
So they're gonna become super gluttonous around people in their lives, basically. And that high level of gluttony uh, ends up just, they consume other people and use up other people in the process just to be able to sustain this kind of relationship. And I've, I've seen this relationship before. I had an opportunity one time to know an ENTJ woman and uh, she was really great and uh, great to me at least. And uh, I, I had a relationship with her and uh, you know, it was, it was basically you know, permission granted by her husband for me to have a relationship with her. He even flew across the country and shook my hand to thank me for it, which was different. And this happened like in my 20s basically. And uh, he did this, uh, and you know, I noticed that he was her polar opposite. And they just have this like insane trauma bond, basically. And they have children with each other as a result of this really difficult or this insane trauma bond, you know, because both of them have had an extremely egregious past, and they ended up, you know, sharing that trauma bond. However, it was ultimately unsustainable, especially for their sexual relationship, because. Any relationship, any, any marriage is actually based on sexuality. If you're not having sex in a marriage, it's not a marriage. That's just, that's just reality. Why do you think they call it an annulment? An annulment happens you know, to end the relationship when just as, begin, as the relationship begins because there was no consummation of the relationship. There was no sexuality. There was no sex acts performed. And because of that, then what's the point? Most people think that they can still have emotional, emotional ties within a, uh, within a marriage and, and still think it could work. I mean, that's kind of like a women's fantasy, but that's, it's entirely false. You know, without sexuality, there's just no point. There's no point in it at all. You know, I've advised people, you know, hey, you know, if there's a serious lack of sexuality, you might want to actually rethink your marriage, you know, in terms of like, hey, ask your spouse permission to have relationships with other people so you can have that going on. So you can still at least facilitate the, the process of your relationship. And that's what this ENTJ and this ISFP couple actually did. And they actually kind of brought me in on that at that one point in time. And then, you know, things didn't work out because they moved away. And, you know, I moved a different direction. And it's, it, it's no big deal. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, her husband thanked me for taking care of her because she was away earning money and whatnot. He had his own relationships. She had her relationships. And it all just kind of sort of worked for them because they were still at the end of the day working hard to keep their family together. You know what I'm saying? And that's noble. It's noble that they did that. I, I have great respect for them for doing so. But that's really the only successful polar opposite marriage that I've seen in my life work. And it only works because they are directing their emotional needs and their sexual needs outside of their marriage. A lot of people don't realize that throughout history, you know, marriages had nothing to do with love. That's actually a very new thing and only something that's really happened within, what, since the 1910s, 1920s, and really, really strongly solidified by the 1950s, you know? And it's because of that, it ended up becoming a big problem. Oftentimes, people are not even aware of how much of a problem it is nowadays. But again, all the more reason why, you know, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 37 literally states that, you know, marriage vows are sin. Because it's talking about all vows, which includes marriage vows. This is why I maintain marriage vows are actually sin. And you're committing the same exact act that Adam committed, putting Eve on a pedestal uh, in the Garden of Eden. 
And it's so fascinating, you know, if you actually consider it. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And that's ultimately what this particular couple did, this ENTJ and this ISFP, you know, because none of the functions are matching. Extroverted sensing child is looking for an introverted sensing optimistic function in the other person's ego. It's just not there. You have introverted sensing critic in the ISFP. And that introverted sensing has to go into an optimistic mode in order to be able to properly service extroverted sensing child at all. Well, the only way that's going to happen is if their shadow side of ESFJ cognitive transitions into INTP, which, funnily enough, happens to be the golden pair of the ENTJ. So in this relationship, and as well as all these relationships, it's about forcing cognitive transition into the golden pair side of their mind, which happens to be the superego. So these two types are soft-locking each other into each other's superego. It doesn't matter that one's a producer of purpose and a consumer of purpose. It doesn't matter that one produces gifts and consumes gifts. Because when faced with soft-locking someone and forcing cognitive transition into their superego, there's just no way. And they would have to like really get into some serious substance abuse, alcohol uh, or stimulants of some kind, and then take them both simultaneously at the same time just to gain access to their superego so they could even have like a, a sexual interlude that was remotely enjoyable or meaningful to begin with. And that too ends up becoming a problem. A lot of people just don't understand that. And then, like I said, you know, the problem that I see, you know, these relationships really end up becoming the choice for people who have the highest level of trauma out there. And usually the kindred relationship is for that, you know, and that's, and that's, that's my relationship with Railgun, the kindred relationship, because our relationship literally lives and dies by an exchange of kindness. It's all about being kind to one another. What does the ENTJ and the ISFP have? It literally is as transactional as you can get. All these relationships, these colloquial duality, dual relationships are about transactions. It's all about being transactional. You know, and, and while at first it turns into give for the sake of giving, the INTP and the ESFJ shadows of these two types end up start covert contracting each other. So they only give to each other with strings attached. So the relationship over time just devolves into this high level of transactionalism and uh, trying to draw a purpose actually away from each other. So naturally these two types will just break apart. This is why this kind of relationship has the highest, highest risk of cheating or abandonment. It is definitely not a foundation that I recommend building a family on. So as a result of that, I have no choice but to recommend to literally anybody, if you're in this kind of relationship, you really should negotiate with your partner and just be like, hey, maybe we should have an open relationship. And this is coming from a guy that never tells anyone to have an open relationship. I'm not down for that. However, this is the one circumstance, the one circumstance, this kind of relationship, and also for conflict types as well. Conflict types and colloquial duels should absolutely consider having open relationships. This is the only one I recommend it. Everyone else, either avoid the relationship like the plague, or uh, don't do don't don't get into an op don't have an open relationship at all. It's just not work. Either to be completely monogamous or be polygynous. That's it. And polygyny is not polyamory. It's not the same thing. Polygyny is one man, many women. You know that's that scenario. Or, to, or just pure monogamy. Those two, period, end of story. 
the only time open relationship in my eyes is okay is if you're in a relationship with your conflict type or in a relationship with uh, uh, your colloquial duel, basically. Otherwise, avoid the rest of relationships like, a, like the plague. And be super, super careful. Super careful to that end, right? So yeah, like, seriously, guys, just, just avoid this. Like, stay, stay out of this relationship. And for those of you that are just busted down, have so much suffering in your life, where you're going to create this trauma bond, and you might want to, like, Google trauma bond and understand what trauma bond is, or ask ChatGPT what uh, trauma bond actually means. And have ChatGPT actually explain it to you. You know, there's just really, there's just really no point. <laughs> like, you get into a trauma bond, and then you have this relationship because maybe this person's the only option. Maybe you guys are both hurting. You know, okay, fair. But you always have to keep in mind of the risk of ending up in a situation where you're either going to break apart, which I don't recommend. If you have, you know, children, I don't recommend that at all. And if you don't have children, okay, you can break up in that situation. Fair enough. You know, but at the same time, like, I'm not really a big supporter of divorce, so you might want to consider having an open relationship. And, I mean, and to make sure everyone's giving permission, that's all communicated and just handled out. Like, just, just be real careful. Especially since these two types are greed types. And these types can actually outgreed one another, and that too could end up becoming a serious problem. So watch out for that. Please be aware of that, because that can be a serious, serious problem. So, anyway, folks, thanks for watching, and I'll see you guys on the next episode. <laughs>